new life. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Quarterback. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. And go. Got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked up. Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the Michael Rothstein Show. I am your host, as always, Michael Rothstein, and this episode is being brought to you by betonline.ag, where you can use the code BLUEWIRE for a 100% welcome bonus. And as expected in Michigan and so many other states around this country, still in a shelter-in-place, stay-at-home, please stay-at-home portion of our lives as COVID-19 continues to be a pandemic in the United States. And before we get into today's interview with former Detroit Lions defensive tackle over and over and over again, Andre Fluellen, just a quick thing about something the Lions announced on Friday that they're doing. So they're working with a nonprofit called the Empowerment Plan to help fund the production of hospital gowns and surgical quality face masks for local hospitals in the Detroit area. The story was initially reported by the Detroit News on Friday morning. I actually spoke to the founder and CEO of the Empowerment Plan earlier on Friday after before the release after the initial story came out in the Detroit News, and she kind of explained what's going on. It's still a project very much in its infancy. Her hope is that they're able to make 6,000 masks a week to help out local Detroit hospitals once they're up and fully running. She told me this coming week, and you'll be listening to this podcast on Monday, will be a lot of prototyping and training, and they're hoping to start making masks this coming week, but won't be nearly up to their capacity yet, but she's hoping that comes sooner rather than later. And a little bit about the Empowerment Plan. It's a really worthwhile organization. The Lions have been involved with them for a really long time at this point, a few years. And actually, one of the things I learned from the conversation with Veronica Scott was that it actually has a Patriots connection. And Robin Glazer, who's the one of the lead counsels at the Kraft Group, which is Robert Kraft's company, found her on Facebook from finding a video that she had done about the empowerment plan, had reached out, and now sits on the board. The board is chaired by Steve Hamp, who's the husband of Sheila Ford Hamp, who's the daughter of Martha Ford. So the Lions and Patriots both have ties to this organization. As of at least Friday, the Patriots had not committed any money or finances or anything to this particular initiative, but they have been big supporters of the Empowerment Plan for a few years now, predating Bob Quinn coming to Detroit and all of that. And kind of what happened was the Patriots started really buying into their program, which usually is this. It takes employees All of their employees come from shelters in the Detroit area, from people who are homeless, who are looking for work, who want to work. And what Veronica's nonprofit does is she employs all of them. And then with the goal of getting them out of shelters and into financial stability, typically her workforce sticks around for two years. That's the plan they come up with. They have other support services along with employment, going from therapy to financial planning to all of that. And it's been a pretty successful program. And as she told me, Robin Glazer got really excited about it. And they've supported by donating money to sponsor coats. And that's what the empowerment plan does is they sew coats that double as sleeping bags for the homeless population so they have some place to sleep that's warm at night and also a coat to wear during the winter and it's a really fascinating nonprofit. i encourage you to to google them and learn more about them but what veronica scott told me was that people started reaching out to her saying 
hey, are y'all going to make masks because they're a sewing operation and this is a time when sewing operations can be very, very helpful. So she started to think about it and at that point they had already suspended operations on making the coats. However, she was still paying all of her employees and she's like, yeah, let's let's try to do it. So she reached out to a couple of hospitals, to a few other industrial type companies that make surgical quality medical hospital approved masks to figure out what they needed to do and she started doing the research and then this is where the lions come in matt patricia was talking with his wife reina and reina had asked about what the empowerment plan maybe was doing and he was like that's a great idea as he told the detroit news so he reached out according to veronica to steve hamp kevin anderson who is Matt Patricia's chief of staff reached out to Veronica and they started to work together to figure out how the Lions could help. Now, what's the other tie-in with the Lions? Besides Steve Hamp, the tie-in with the Lions is this. They're, every year, they bring their rookies there to kind of see what the industrial sewing machine operators do to make the coats. They try to make their own coat to kind of get the experience. And the Lions also help with other things throughout the year. A couple of other Ford family members in the greater Ford family are on the board as well. And the Lions decided that they were going to help and try and fund making of the masks and the surgical gowns. My understanding based off of the press release is that they're trying to cover at least April. What Veronica Scott told me was that, hey, they don't know how much this is going to cost yet just because they're still in the very early stages of it. At least they were as of Friday afternoon. And the Lions have been very generous, which were her words, and basically said that they will try to cover as much as possible. The press release said they cover wages and some operational costs. So, That's going to be something to watch over the next few weeks, but that's something that the Lions are doing, and specifically Matt Patricia and some of his players, including Jared Davis and Joe Dahl, uh, among others, as more and more players are starting to find out about it, as Jared Davis is spearheading the player portion of the fundraising. And it's something positive the Lions are trying to do to help with COVID relief and to help the hospital workers and the first responders and the frontline people in our society right now who are trying to help take care of all the people who have been coming down with coronavirus in Michigan and in the metro Detroit area where it's become a bit of a hot spot. So now that I've mentioned that a little bit, want to just get to a little pre-conversation about today's interview with Andre Fluellen. So I'm sure most of you remember Andre Fluellen as a guy who was cut a bunch from the Lions and then re-signed a bunch from the Lions, which is kind of how I reconnected with him because someone had made a joke or I had said something on Twitter and he had said, I'm just waiting for the Lions to re-sign me again. He's not. He's been retired for a few years, but I was like, you know what? Let me see if, if Flu will come on the show. I covered him for a little bit of his time with the Lions, and he was all about coming on, and he had a story to tell. And I think the next 40 minutes or so will be really interesting for you. We get into some Lions stuff of how he learned a lot from Indomitian Sue and how he kept stealing Calvin Johnson's shower shoes because they had lockers next to each other. But his story of what happened to him after he retired is pretty compelling, and it's it's a warning for players and for those getting into finance about who you can trust and who you can't. And I hope that you take something from this podcast with Andre Fluellen, who was very, very open about his life during the NFL and his life after the NFL. And we'll get to that right after this short break. With currently no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on, or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. All open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series if you're into props and entertainment betting you can still bet on survivor big brother american idol stock prices the weather and when i was on there i actually saw i didn't 
wager on it, but I saw that you could wager on games of Madden and FIFA. Visit their website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use the promo code BLUEWIRE and bet online, your online wagering experts. Now, back to our show. My guest today on the Michael Rothstein Show was with the Lions for a while. He was taken in the third round of the 2008 NFL Draft by Detroit, and then he even acknowledges it now. He went back and forth with the Lions a lot. He is defensive tackle Andre Fluellen. Flu, welcome to the Michael Rothstein Show. Man, thank you so much for having me on. I'm super excited. So I was talking to a former teammate of yours, actually, Daryl Tapp, yesterday. Where I'm recording this on March 31st, and we were the first thing we started talking about was kind of what you're doing during this time of – coronavirus so what has changed for you what are you doing how are you keeping busy these days you know it's uh I I hate to say that it's cool but you know I have a three and a four year old at home so usually they're in school and now that they're not in school like you know I'm playing Mr. Dad and uh, the teacher and all the things and to be quite honest they're two of my favorite people on the planet. So it's just cool that I get to spend more time with them, which is, uh, for me, it's a, it's a blessing. And then on the other hand, uh, man, I'll get a lot more sleep. Just you said, you said it earlier, but I get a lot more sleep now. Usually I'm up like at four or five in the morning because I'm just, you know, I'm just, I like having my quiet, peaceful time where I go work out early in the morning. I go to the gym. Well, there is no gym (laughs) right, right now. So it's just, I'm actually able to get some more rest, which has been actually good because I'm I'm a guy who gets up like four or five in the morning every day and like waking up at eight when my kids wake up because I know I got to have enough energy for them has been actually really good for me, believe it or not. So the getting up at four or five a.m. I'm more of a kind of get up at six between six and six thirty person. Is the four or five a.m. is that just kind of from the NFL lifestyle for so many years, or is that something else? Yeah, that's 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 re- that's residual NFL just being in the locker room super early in the morning. So that's that. And then and then, but the thing is, though, like, all right, for everybody who out there who's married, you know that your day starts, but when your wife wakes up, that's when your day really starts. So I take those like three hours in the morning, but like from four to seven a.m. Like that's like my me time where everything is quiet. I can do whatever I want to do. I can just sit there if I need to. Because once, you know, once the once the real boss wakes up, then that's when your day really starts. So that's kind of how I sneak in, like, my extra just Dre time. <laughs> so what do you do? What do you get done in those three hours typically every morning that you've now lost because you're sleeping? <laughs> I know, right? So I would say uh, – so the first thing I do, man, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent, and we'll kind of talk about this a little bit later. This ties into one of our stories that, I'll t- that we'll talk about. But I'm a huge proponent of, like, mental health and meditation and stuff like that and, like, mentally prepare my day. So I will legitimately take 30 minutes, sometimes an hour, and just get quiet and just really picture my day of how I want it to be. Like, and really meditate on it and really, like, I'm a huge proponent of that because that actually helped me play in the NFL for a long time. I'll tell a story about that later, but, uh, so I'll do that. Then I'll get me like a little workout. I, I do some stretches that I stretch. I've been stretching every day. I stretch every day for the last nine years now. Uh, so I'll do my stretches and then I'll just kind of write out my day, my daily plan. And then I might do like a quick, a quick workout, uh, something like that. I'll probably do, you know, I'll do like some push-ups or sit-ups. That kind of gets me going. And then I'll do my real workout later on today. But, uh, that usually takes me a couple of hours to, to do that, but a lot of times, man, I'm I realistically may just sit in my chair and just relax and just enjoy the peaceful quiet. I love peace and quiet. So once it gets go, so what's it like now in the house when you get up at eight? Is is your wife still getting up earlier than you now, or is she now sleeping till nine and you have that hour, or are you like playing, you know, you know, Mister Dad? <laughs> From the moment you get up, like, are they jumping in the bed every morning and being like, all right, get up. We got to watch Dora the Explorer or whatever it is. <laughs> no, man, it's funny. For the first time ever, she's getting up before me. And I'm, this is freaking me out. Like, I'm, I'm like, I, I don't know what to do because I'm like, hold on. Why are your eyes open before mine? And then I'm like, where's my me time? But it actually works out because she still works, stuff like that, too. So she's a she's a healthcare professional. So she still has to work. So 
you know, I help her get her get herself ready. Then the kids will wake up, and then we'll all kind of let mommy, you know, give mommy a good goodbye because she has to go out and you know, kind of to the front lines of things. Um, so it's actually cool that we get to support her as a family, and then we, you know, she feels comfortable leaving and then being welcomed back at home. So that's yeah, that's the cool thing that we're actually working on, kind of at the same time. Or even she's she's earlier than me because then. Once she's up, I know it's like, okay, it's my job to make sure that she's comfortable when she leaves the house because she's got to be in front of people right now. So I actually didn't know this going into when we started talking about 10 minutes ago. So your wife's a healthcare professional. What exactly mm-hmm. does she do? Because you just said she's on the front lines yeah. uh, in, in Atlanta right now. What What's her job? What's her role? What yeah, so, What's that like? Yeah, so she's a, she's a physical therapist. So... Uh, so even right now, like she still does home visits from people's people's houses because, you know, they, a lot of the hospitals and things are have been shut down for people who need physical therapy uh, because it's it's kind of deemed in the hospitals not essential. But you know, if somebody just has a knee replacement and they can't walk and they need therapy to be able to walk, or their surgery could go, you know, could go bad if they're not getting physical therapy. Like she goes into people's homes, um, and 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 so that. So that's even though it's not maybe at the hospital level in terms of being on the front lines, but at the same time you're still putting yourself at legitimate risk because you don't know you know who people, what kind of people that you know these people these patients have been around, you don't know what they have. A lot of them do have compromised immune systems. Like there's a lot that goes into it that uh, you know that she's conscious about every day. But you know I, I guess she really does feed off of how I feel too. So I I try to make sure that. She feels comfortable and she feels confident that um that 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 I'm secure with her going out there too because I'm you know I I really am so that so that's kind of how it goes it's just she feels off feeds off of my energy so once we kind of set the stage of like okay you're good baby and then she can confidently go out and do her job and then come back home. Does she does she usually work in a hospital and now it's just kind of become this kind of outpatient care or? Is this her typical routine? Is she just picking up more patients because, you know, people are going for knee replacement, physical therapy, or, or hip replacement, or whatever, you know, don't want to be in the hospital right now and probably shouldn't be because of, of everything that's going on with COVID. Right. Yeah. So she's actually, she's she's owned her own physical therapy clinic for the last two years. So she's got her own clinic. Uh, but then she does do some, um, she'll go to like senior living centers and, um, you know, uh, assisted li- living facilities because she's been doing that for the last couple of years as well. So that's been a little, you know, obviously they've totally shut down assisted living facilities for outsiders coming in. So she can't do that part of it, which is unfortunate, because, fortunate, but unfortunate because those are the people who need it the most. Uh, so she hasn't been in the hospital setting in, in a long time because she started her own business. Uh, but at the same time, she has seen an uptick in people requesting home visits just because people still need the therapy and there's not enough therapists to satisfy all the people who, you know, who are out there, who are at home, who need it. Was that something that, I mean, does she have a conversation with you saying, Hey, I'm going to still work during this. Was that a no brainer? You know, it was, it was kind of a no brainer. Um, just because I, I, I understand, I know her heart and I know how, how she is and how much she wants to just genuinely help people. And she loves the craft of physical therapy. Like she loves what she does. I mean, she got her doctorate in it, so she better love what she does. <laughs> but, uh, but like seriously, it's just, you know, when she, when she said it, it wasn't, it was not even a second thought. And I was like, Hey, you know, it was just stay safe. You know, and I actually, you know, I'm, I'm actually her physical therapy assistant. So a lot of times if my mom is around like today, like I'm going to drop my kids off at my mom's place, which she, my mom doesn't live far. And then I'll actually help her with her home visits. And, it does two things. One, I'm able to help her because I really do, you know, um, I'm trained to do it. And the second thing is it just makes her feel comfortable that she is going in front of these people. And, and, and I know that, you know, the virus is invisible and, and, you know, we can both catch it or whatever, but at the same time, she just feels, I guess, again, feeds off my energy just saying like, Hey, we're going to be fine. We're doing the right things. We'll be taken care of. We just take all the precautions as we all, as we should, but we'll be fine. And that reassurance helps her be able to do her job, uh, you know, in, in the best way possible. So 
I'm actually really excited too because a lot of times I get to go on these home visits and I'm part of these patients' journeys. Like there's a guy who just he who fell, he I think he fell off a ladder a few weeks ago, had a traumatic brain injury. Now we're teaching him back how to walk again. And it's just so cool for me to be taking part of that as well. So it's just she's a superhero. I really say that my wife is really, really a superhero. Um, when so when she comes home from the day, like my so my sister in law is a is a nurse at Duke, and like when she gets home to their house, like she basically has to like disinfect in the garage and like take off all of the clothes in the garage. Like, are you are is your wife having to do that as well when she gets home every day, or is your routine a little bit different to try to kind of keep everything yeah. sanitary? Yeah, I mean, we 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 do when we do that. She has a, she has to change the clothes and all that just for you know when she gets home uh, immediately and things go immediately in the in the washing machine and disinfect and all that kind of stuff. So it is that you know we are serious about it, but at the same time, like I would say, we aren't just overboard fear, worry, anxiety driven. Like just you know what I mean, just that 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 fear that keeps you from doing anything. I think. Um, that's and and we're not that and but we do take every precaution as as we should but at the same time we understand that it's unfortunate but this is just the world and the society that we live in and there are viruses and there are you know you could drive and get into a car accident it's just there's risks associated with everything and the thing that we always look at is if the risk that we're taking helps other people then the risk is I would say okay. You know, it's not to be, you know, irresponsible, but the risk is okay if it's involving helping other people. And I think that's kind of what people need to look at in this environment. Because even going outside, like, or going to the grocery store, you just have to think about other people now nowadays. And if, if that risk is if it's helping other people, then we're okay. If this risk is only, you know, only benefiting me, then I would say the risk is probably not not not, not the best risk you could take. Oh, I mean, when I go to the grocery store, I'm I'm gloved up, and I mean, I don't, you know, kind of create a right. mask with the scarf and the whole deal. Yeah. Like that's, just what, that's just what life is right now. Um, so, before before you, everything happened, and you know, before this new world kind of started, what have you been up to, and what have you been doing that maybe got put on pause, or maybe it didn't get put on pause because you're able to still work from home, like like I'm doing obviously right now, and like so many other. Uh, Americans and people worldwide are, are doing. Yeah, so uh, so I kind of I kind of go. I have to tell a story that goes back, so we can get to right now. And I'll take me a couple right. minutes. But uh, so I started a group called Beyond the Game, which is a uh, and I started in about 2018, which is a group of athletes and business executives that come together to win in life as a team. That's what I always say. And so the conception of that idea started in 2013 when I was playing with the Lions. All right. My locker is right next to Calvin, Calvin Johnson. So every day, you ask Calvin, every day, I used to steal Calvin's shower shoes to go take a shower. Every day. And he used to get so mad, he kept threatening to evict me from my locker. And he probably had the power to do it if anybody did. So he kept threatening to, to evict me from my locker. And so uh, so he was like, dude, one day he was like, bro, you got to stop stealing my shower shoes. I'm like, dude, but you wear a size 15 shoe too. Like, we got the same sh- same shoe. I always I always get ours confused, which I didn't get ours confused. His was just a little more comfortable than mine. So anyway, we're having our argument, and then uh, Sue was in the locker next to mine, and he's laughing about it or whatever. And so, but for whatever reason, this day it hit me. I'm like, I'm having an argument with one of the most influential people on the planet about shower shoes. And he's my really good friend. And I realized, I looked around, I said, whoa, hold on. There's 53 guys in this locker room who are the most influential 53 people on the planet. And then I said, all we do together is play a game? Right, and seriously, and I know it's an important game, but that's all we do as a team is play a game. What if we pulled our collective influence together and just did anything off the field, like anything. And I, I thought about that, and I really wanted to get that done. I actually tried to get it done then, but at the same time, you know, when guys are playing football, you focus on playing football. So that was the conception of the group beyond the game, which I started. And then once once I retired in 2016, officially retired, man, I tried to get into business. You know, I tried to get into investing in terms of, like, 
venture capital investing on my own, and I got absolutely annihilated in business. Like, oh, my God, things went so terrible to the point where I was struggling. Like, I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to, you know, I, I, had, a, I had a job, a career opportunity that I thought was a rare opportunity, but it really wasn't. And so I spent an entire year into in a business that I lost a year, and I had to pay to clear clear up a bunch of stuff like it was so many things that went wrong because I was trying to do business alone and that's when in 2018 I met my co-founder I was doing some high school sports uh color commentary met a co-founder my co-founder who's been working business all around the world he's working business and finance and stuff like that and I, and I told him I said look man I had this idea of joining athletes with business executives because as an athlete, I've been playing football for 20 years, and then I was expected to go into business with the same success that I had in football with no business experience. And I said, I'm competing with somebody like you who's had 20 years of business experience. Like, that's like you trying to step on the field and play defensive tackle with me. Like, bro, I would, you know, I would, I would you wouldn't even make it with me on the field. And the same thing is true. I would make it with you in a business, in business. So that's what Beyond the Game is group of athletes and business executives. Athletes have the influence. Business executives have the experience. We come together to do life as a team. So what ha- like you said, I mean, you go into business after retirement and it doesn't go well. Like what so what happened exactly? What where did you go wrong? What did I guess what did either you screw up or what just yeah. never transpired? So it was two things. I screwed up and things didn't transpire. Right? So so while I was playing, um, you know, people who know me, everybody, you know, calls me flu, right? So while I was playing, I did everything right in terms of financially. Like, I wasn't out there doing crazy stuff. I drove the same car I had from college all the way through the NFL. Uh, man, I used to, you know, it was funny. While guys were wearing Louis Vuitton and Gucci, like, I would go down to Eastern Market or go down to, uh, was it Foreman Mills maybe? And I would get the uh, the knockoff, and I used to call it Flui Vuitton and Flucci. And everybody in the locker room knew it. Like, everybody knew that, like, I wore flu religion jeans, right? <laughs> like, my my horseshoes were upside down. <laughs> like, I remember one one day, man, Cliff Averill called me out. We were at the, uh, I think we were at the casino or something like that. And he was like, dude, why are your horseshoes so big on the back of your jeans? He was like, man, those aren't real, are they? I was like, man, don't tell anybody else that. But it was just funny. It was kind of a running joke. Like, but that's who I was. I was a guy who didn't really spend things. Like, I just, I just you know, it didn't, it didn't mean that much to me. And so, but while I was playing, I was always investing. I was investing in the stock market. I was investing in, you know, I was doing some venture capital investing. But my problem was I was doing stuff on my own, right? I thought I was smart enough to do it on my own, especially with, vent, with venture. Stocks, uh, you, can, you can kind of get away with that because they're more liquid. But venture, see, I didn't realize it was cool investing while I was playing and, you know, it was being replenished by an NFL check. But when, when that's done and I'm still investing in venture startups and stuff like that, like it takes a long time. I didn't realize how long it was going to take for me to even be able to see some of my return. So when I got done, I had too much going out and not enough coming in. And that's just what happened to me. It wasn't because I was stupid. It wasn't even because I made, you know, bad decisions I just made I had too much risk out for where I was in life and I think that was I think that's the problem a lot of guys come come to is because you don't really know any difference because shoot I didn't have experience of not having things coming in like it's my first year out, out the league my second year out the league so I thought okay well something else will end up working out or one of these investments will end up working out and it takes years for investments to come back. and But that was the best lesson I could have ever learned. You know, seriously, because if it wasn't for all that, if it wasn't for all that loss, and then having, you know, some people steal from me, and that's a whole nother story, like stole a lot from me. Like if it wasn't for all of that, I would have never started this group. And my group realistically helps athletes in their post-career life. Like, so it's just so cool how everything always, there's a purpose behind every pain. I really believe that. And, uh, and that, that's what that was. So when that, like you said, I mean, so you're, you're going through business by yourself. You're all of a sudden realizing investments, they take time. Yeah. Like, do you still, are you still pouring money in at that point? Not kind of realizing, or does it happen pretty quick? Or was there a specific thing that happened that you're like, 
whoa, I may be in over my head or yeah. or in too deep here. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll give you, I'll kind of give you a, a, the, the story of one of them. So there was one particular company that I invested in. And here's, here's if, if, if any athlete is, is listening to this, I will tell you, say no more than you say yes. But, oh, God, all right. The thing about athletes is we have been taught, we've never been taught how to say no. Saying no is an art form. It's actually a learned behavior. We've been taught to say yes our entire lives. Coach says, hey, you got 10 gassers. Yes, sir. Coach says, you run this play. I say, yes, sir. Coach says, which happened to me <laughs> in the, it, with, with the Lions. Coach says, hmm, you're about 290 right now. Can you get to 320 in the span of three months? And what do I say? Yes, sir. Right? <laughs> like, seriously, we've been taught to say yes our entire lives. So when somebody comes with a pitch or some some business person, especially somebody who you know who's a, fam- who's a family friend or whatever, that's where I got screwed up at. Somebody comes with a pitch that has this idea like, we're so inclined to say yes because we feel like they're part of our team. You know what I mean? Like, and that's, that's what, that's what happens with guys. It's not that guys are stupid. It's just, it's not that guys, you know, don't want to say no. We just never been taught how to say no. And so that's what happened to me. So it was, you know, somebody I invested, invested with and, you know, said, had this awesome idea. So I invested with them, right? Just thinking like, and, was it a good idea? It was absolutely a good idea. That's the problem. The problems aren't bad ideas. Bad ideas are easy to say no to. Problem with good ideas. So good idea, but bad process. And I didn't know that. And so every time something else will come, right? Well, we need this to happen. Can you invest a little more? I'm like, well, is, does this make or break the business? Uh, yes. Right? That's what he would say. And I'll say, well, I need to save my investment. So here's some more money. And what I didn't realize, and here's what happened to me. And here's another piece of advice. Never link your investment with helping somebody. Separate the two, realistically, because I didn't realize I wasn't investing in his company. I was funding his lifestyle, which had a company on the back end of it. And that was a problem. And I had no idea. And I kept trying to save my investment, save my investment. And guess what happened? I ended up running out of running out of money. And guess what? And hear from hadn't heard from much from him since. <laughs> so. So that's the thing, like, that's just what happens, right? And I'm not saying that the person I invested with is a bad dude, but he had a company, but on that was, it was in second place of him keeping his lifestyle. That's, and that's what happens to a lot of guys. Always separate investments with help. If you want to help somebody, just help them and leave it alone. If you want to invest with somebody, make sure you accurately have somebody to look at that investment and make sure it's not investment and help together because investment and help together never works. So you said you, you basically invested until you ran out of money. Like did he completely dry where you had nothing left or was there a point where you finally said, ah, yeah, I can't be giving you money no more. Oh yeah. Well, there was a point where I was like, Hey, I'm, you know, I, I, I see the writing on the wall sometime in the future. I'm like, Hey, I don't want that point to come by me giving you that last dollar. So it was before that, but you know, what else happened is, so I got my Series 7 certification when I got done playing. Series 7 and Series 66 certification. So I wanted to be an investment advisor. And I was supposed to be working with a company, and they said, we're going to put you on salary, and we're going to pay for all your training and all, the, all this stuff. And it was a, it was a private, uh, private equity firm. And so I said, great. You know, this sounds like a good idea, a good opportunity. Um, and so, you know, I studied my butt off. Like, I really did, you know, pass tests and – I paid for all my training. I paid for all my testing, which is not not cheap at all. And I paid for and I and I really studied for like seven straight months, thinking that I was be, being put on salary to do that, and it never happened. And then a lot of other stuff happened with that company. One one person within that company got went to jail, so I had to clear myself totally from that company. Like it was a bunch of mess. That thank God, like I got out of it. Because because there was a lot of bad stuff that happened afterwards with that company too. Um, but it was just like those things. Like, again, I'm a smart dude. I'm a guy who works hard and I'm supposed to be successful. And so that was a year out of my life that I was supposed to be getting the income that I didn't. And I had stuff going out in terms of these investments that just didn't come back in. So, hey, I'll be honest with you. Everybody, anybody reading this, I'm authentic. Man, I went through bad, bad depression, like 
severe depression because of all of this. Football, gone, right? A lot of my money, gone. My second career, that I, my plan B that you're supposed to have, gone. Like, all this is gone. So I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do next? Like, forget how I'm going to make money. Like, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to be a part of society? Like, dude, I was thinking about working at, like, McDonald's and and applying at Waffle House. Like, I really was thinking that because I had no idea what else to do. The things that I was trying to do just didn't work. And I was like, well, maybe this is just my lot in life. Seriously. I mean, it got to that point. Uh, And I'm thankful it got to that point, though. Like, I wouldn't change anything for the world right now. I really, really wouldn't. So how close did it get? I mean, did you actually go into the Waffle Houses and McDonald's of the world and actually, you know, seek out applications? Like, did you talk to your wife about it and say, I, I, I need to do, like, what am I going to do? Like, how do you, how do you fight your way out of that? So I must have applied to the, like, the Waffle House and, and, and McDonald's, like, the last, I would say the last straw. But it was, like, I applied to probably – 30 or 40, I put out probably 100 applications into some sports media places, like some, um, some like just like do some radio shows. I never heard anything back. I put out probably 50 applications to different car dealerships around, around town, like never heard anything back. And I'm like, why am I not hearing? I'm a former NFL player. You know, I have a, have a degree, smart dude. Like, why am I not hearing anything back? Like nothing, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I never understood that. So it got, it got to that point. I never went to, you know, put in an application there because it did, it never got that that bad. Um, pretty close, but not that bad. But uh, again, there's always, you know, I always love telling the part like in everybody's life. I think everybody's a superhero. Okay, mm-hmm. and so the, the story of a superhero is you introduce the hero, you get the hero into a situation. The hero goes through the situation. The hero gets out of the situation. And I think everybody's story, I think everybody has that story in their life. And uh, and I think this was just part of my superhero story. Like that whole struggle, that whole depression, that whole, you know, almost losing everything. Like it was close, man. I'll be honest with you. It was close. Uh, but still, man, it's just, I don't know. When I think about it now, it sucked then. But now when I look back, I'm like, dude, it developed me into the person that, not only do I want to be, but I love to be, man. I love to be me right now because of all the stuff that I went through post-career. So how, like you said, I mean, you basically are going through all of this and you're going through, the, like, do you start talking to somebody? Do you start seeing some, like a therapist or, or to kind of work your way through it? Do you, how do you kind of break out of that? Yeah. So I, you know, I saw, I, I had a couple of visits with a therapist and that, that helped me, uh, but, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's funny, man, what really helped me and it's just, uh, you know, and I'm a believer in faith and stuff like that. And, but what really helped me, it was just like, I had a friend in college who out there total blue. I hadn't talked to this dude in maybe eight years. He, he calls me out the blue and I didn't know the number. So then he texts me, he says, Hey man, just thinking about you. Here's a book I want you to read. And I'm a big reader. I love reading books. Uh, and it was his text that sent me that book. And when I read that book, that book changed my entire life. It really did. It changed that book, got me out of depression. That book, it was just a catalyst. I think I was already kind of on my way out, but I didn't know it. But mm-hmm. just everything, it's just like turning on the ignition, man. It's just a lot of things just had to fire for that car to cut on. And I think that's what it was. And then that book just clicked the ignition in my mind, totally changed my mindset, and just. From that point on, so many opportunities have been flowing to me. Like sometimes I have to sit down and just, just really just like, dude, I'm really doing all this stuff. I can't believe it, especially from where I was, you know, two or three years ago. Just to be clear, that book is. Oh, what book was it? So, oh, so I'm a, I'm a big, like I read old books, like. Napoleon Hill, uh, a lot of his books. And so that book was Outwitting the Devil by uh, Napoleon Hill. Even though it sounds like a like a faith book or like a you know, quote-unquote religious book, it's not at all. But uh, Outwitting the Devil, it was it, it, that book like literally changed my life. 
How so? Like, well, I mean, you kind of explained it a little bit, but like, how did what was the message in there that actually clicked for you? So the message was the message I've already known. And so, all right, here's a good story to talk about, and this this will link this together. All right. So my favorite player of all time, uh, favorite NFL player of all time is Indomitian Sue. And it's not because of how he played football. Okay. It is because of what he taught me about football. One day, I think it was, we were playing against Tampa Bay. Um, I can't, I can't remember. It may have been Tampa Bay, but anyway, one, one game, he was making plays all over the field, like all over the field. And so, so, and, and, and we come, so he, he just made a big play as he usually did. We came to the sideline and he sits down, shuts his eyes, clenches his fist and grits his teeth. So I'm beside him on the bench. He had that picture. Like, I'm like, Hey man, you all right? And he's just ignoring me. I was like, Hey man, what's going on? I'm like, dude, you okay? And he didn't say anything to me. And I was kind of in my head. I was like, man, forget you too. And like, you know, just in my head. But then after the game, he came to me and he said, Hey man, like he said, Hey, I, um, my bad. I didn't mean to ignore you earlier, but I was just doing my visualization. And I said, bro, what are you talking about? What is that? He said, okay, Flu. He was like, let me check this out. He was like, let me, let me tell you. He said, you know how I'm out here making plays and sometimes, you know, the coach will call play, but I might do the opposite and I'll still make the play. And he said, you know how I'm doing all this stuff all over the field and I'm making plays? He said, I've seen myself playing this game, this game right here, probably a hundred times before I stepped on the field. He's like, I'm not just doing this stuff just because I'm lucky. He's like, I've practiced and seen this game in my head a hundred times before I stepped on the field. And I was like, are you serious? He said, yeah, man, come on, dude. And so, and they kind of left it at that. And so then I started looking into like visualization and mental, you know, mental training and stuff like that. And I tried it. So I, man, oh, dude, I'll never forget this, man. So I was, remember we're playing against Chicago and, uh, we're playing against Willie Young, right? Willie Young used to always do the fishing, the gone fishing sack band. So that entire week, I said, all right, I'm going to picture myself getting a sack and doing the fishing dance, all right? And I had it in my mind, but when it, it became so real that when I stepped on the field, I knew it was going to happen. And, dude, it happened just like I pictured it in my head. And so that book and I, I, I linked at the Outwitting the Devil because that book Outwitting the Devil shows you how to do that in real life. Like take control of your mind. Visualize the things that you want to happen. A lot of us have, especially as athletes, we have that negative voice inside of our head that tells us what we can't do but it teaches you how to visualize the things that you can do. Right? We always have, most people have a negative focus, right? Like most people walk around and say, oh man, my feet are killing me. Like no, most people don't walk around and say, man, my feet are giving me life today, right? Like yeah. most people have a negative, just for whatever reason, just just a negative button in their mind. And it just teaches you how to have that positive button. And there's cer certain things that people don't even think about that we do that are so negative that can hold us back in life. And that book did it. Like I, I realized from that book that all that depression, all the stuff that I was dealing with, man, it was because I was focused on what was wrong. When I actually look back at it, man, I didn't lose anything. <laughs> like, seriously, I didn't lose anything. Nothing got taken from me. I still ate good meals. Like, I still could do what I wanted to do. I was just looking at what people stole from me instead of realizing, man, they didn't steal anything that can't be gone anyway. Like, I still have my family. I still have my health. Man, dude, I have no lingering injuries from the NFL, really. Like, not, not many bad ones. Like, I'm healthy, man. Like, you know, so – so and that's what that's what it reminded me. It just reminded me to look at what's right instead of what's wrong. So as we've talked a lot about kind of mental health and we've talked about, you know, a little bit about your playing career, for anyone who's listening to this podcast, they probably recognize or realize that and we referenced it a little bit at the top, that you bounced in and out of the Lions organization, I think it was what, ten? 11 times, you know, I mean, you even joke about it on Twitter, which is kind of how this, the beginning of this whole conversation got started. I'm just like, I'm waiting for the Lions to resign me again. Um, how did you deal with that consistently throughout your career? Because it was, it ended up being what, I think eight, nine. I, I signed non-contracts with, with the Lions. <laughs> so, you know, I'll tell you, um, 
I remember sitting sitting beside Calvin one day, and I think it was, I really think it was like the sixth time they brought me back. And so he was like, "Hey man, like, how long are you gonna keep doing this?" And I was like, "I was like, what do you mean?" He was like, "Dude, they really cut you like six times." And I was like, "Yeah, they have." He was like, "Are you serious?" And like he was like, "I was just throwing out an arbitrary number, but are you serious?" I was like, "Yeah." So anyway, yeah. So uh, he was like, "Dude, like." How you how you how are you still doing this? I mean, how are you still coming back? And I said, Calvin, man, like you gotta understand, I'm doing something that 99.99999 percent of the population not only hasn't done, but just literally can't do. Like, I'm a 290 pound defensive tackle that's taking a double team from two 330 pound men. Like, most of the population cannot do that and I said so I'm able to do something that people can't do it's just every time I have a chance to do it like I'm just I'm I'm happy about it right I'm not happy about getting cut but shoot I'm back right so I'm happy about getting signed back how many athletes how many players are out there man that just wishes they could get signed back nine times like seriously like so that's kind of how I dealt with it I just always looked at them as just those things as just I don't know every time I got cut I just looked at it as a part of me that just grew. I didn't get cut down, man. I grew up. Every time I got cut, I grew up because it just made me more solid. It made me more able to withstand adversity in real life. And so probably those 10 times I got cut on in football prepared me for the time that this guy was going to steal from me. And this guy and this, you know, situation with this investment, investment advisory, that wasn't going to work out. And I had to figure this out. Like, those things, man, life life will teach you the best lessons if you let it. And that's the way I look that's the way I look at life. It doesn't feel good. Hey, do I cry at times? Man, absolutely. Especially when I was going through my stuff. Yeah, of course I did. Right? But at the same time, the silver lining is I knew in the core of me that I've never taken a loss in my life. I've only learned. I always say this, man. Life is about wins and lessons, not wins and losses. I'm only taking lessons. Those are only L's I've taken are, are lessons. So, all right. So I want to dig a little bit into the NFL career. Mm-hmm. When you get drafted, you don't think, I mean, you're, you're drafted, first of all. Like, you played at Florida State. You had a successful career at Florida State. You're taken in the third round. You don't think that your career is going to go like, like it does, right? Like, you, you anticipate being with the team for seven, eight years and, mm-hmm. you know, playing a lot. Like, when do you realize – all right, this is going to be my situation. You know, I, I realized it my fourth fourth year in the NFL. Okay, that's when, that's when I really realized it. Um, maybe third, either third or fourth year is a preseason game. And one thing that I've had, and one of the reasons why I wasn't, you know, pro bowler, hall of famer, whatever, it wasn't because of talent. Uh, it wasn't even because of ability, but it was because of me. Because my own, what I talked about earlier, my negative mindset and my self-confidence issues. And I'll tell you about that. So I'll never forget, man, it was the third third or fourth preseason game. Uh, my third year, is either third or fourth year, I can't remember, in the NFL. And I was playing, I was playing at a defensive end position because I think somebody got hurt. And I took on a block by the tight end. And I did, I did well, but for whatever reason, I would talk to myself, and I was like, what's wrong with me? I should be, like, I should be the happiest, most joyous person right now. Like, I should be ecstatic, and I should be running all up and down over the field because I got this opportunity to make this team. And for whatever reason, you ever have one of those days where you just don't have it? Like, Yeah, man. (laughs) Right, you know what I mean? Like, you know that, and I think people really think that athletes – never have those days where you just don't have it. Like, for whatever reason, I was playing fine, but I just didn't have it. I didn't have the excitement. I didn't have the joy. I didn't have that just that end. That I just didn't have it that day. And I kept saying, what is wrong with me? Like, what is wrong? There's something wrong with me. There's just something that's going on that's wrong with me. I don't deserve this game. That's what I kept telling myself, believe it or not. I don't deserve this game. Somebody who loves it more than I do will, will get it. Like should deserves this spot. That's what I said to my, and that's when I knew my career was going to be up and down. It was it was that point. But I tell you, 
going back to Sue, that's why Sue is my favorite player. When I had that conversation with Sue, and when he taught me about how to take control of my mind, I astronomically enjoyed the game more. Like, it was it was like enjoying the game from like a three or four where it was before. I love playing it, but I just like I didn't like doing it, but it wasn't like my thing to like a nine or a ten after that after that conversation with him. Did do you think if that conversation happens earlier in your career you have a different career? If that conversation if I knew the, the things that I knew earlier in my career, I, I no doubt I'm there's no doubt in my mind I'd have been a pro bowler. Like there's no like not zero doubt that I would have been a pro bowler if I hadn't known just the power of just me understanding how to visualize and take control of my mind, that the mind is the most powerful part of the game. It, it really is. Like, so when that happened, do you remember what year that was? Because obviously, you know, Sue was around from 10 to 14. Like yeah. you were, you were there for the majority. Actually you were there for pretty much the yeah. whole time on that, other than like brief stints in Miami and in Chicago. Like, at what point does he tell you that to where it changes? Because you had some of your better years kind of toward the end of, in, yeah. of your third stint with your Lions. Yeah, so that was that was 2014. When your career ends after you sign with the Lions in 15, and you're there for one more, you know, one more go. Yeah. After 15, do you kind of say, all right, like, I don't want to go through this anymore? Or were you still kind of hoping, like, you might play again? Like what, what, what tells you, all right, I'm done. I'm ready to make that transition. All right. So I got another story. <laughs> you know, I, I like the other story, but if, if I could tell another, another story, uh, uh, let me know. <laughs> so yeah, here's a story behind that. So, okay. So yeah. So power of visualization and like writing things down. And I, I'm a big proponent of making a list of things that you want, write it down. The best feeling in the world is checking those things off. All right. So early 2015, this is January, 2015. I wrote down in my book, I got a bunch of things written down in my book, but I, I wrote down, I want to play with the Lions this year, and I want to play in London. That was my dream. My, my NFL dream was to play in London. That was my dream, okay? So, now I'll take you through this journey. I wasn't on a team when I wrote this down. From January, even though I had a pretty good season in 2014, from January up until September, or, or sorry, July. I didn't hear anything from any team, including the Lions. Nothing. Right? Um, no calls, no anything. The day before training camp, I get a call from the Buffalo Bills, and they say, hey, we want to bring you up. No signing bonus. We'll bring you up just for a workout, and we'll bring you up. And if you do well, we'll, we'll sign you for training camp. Like, there's like, no guarantees for anything. So there's nothing else out there. So I'm like, all right, cool. Well, that's, that's what I have to do. That's what I have to do. So I go through training camp with Buffalo. Do, pre- do pretty well. Uh, still, people don't know this story. Like, I still got cut the last day of training camp. Like, I got cut right before, uh, well, after the last preseason game. Still got cut. So, now, mind you, you know, I'm thinking, like, oh, man, like, this could be the end of my career. Like, seriously, I didn't know. I didn't hear anything else from any other team. But I was like, all right, man, I wrote down in my book. I'm going to play with the Lions. I'm playing London. So, get cut. They sent me home. The next day, Buffalo, my agent called me. He was like, dude, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, what's going on? He was like, man, Buffalo said that they made a mistake in cutting you. They want to bring you back right now. You have a flight in a couple hours. I'm like, are you serious? He's like, man, I wouldn't even play with you. I've never seen this in my life, but this is what happened. So so they brought me back. The head coach there, Rex Ryan, he said, hey, man, you know, we, we, we meant to cut. We cut you, but we had a second change of thought, and we want to bring you back. And he was like, sorry, <laughs> basically. So then, so now I'm super excited because now I'm on the team, you know, on the team week one. And then I said, hey, he said, well, do you have your passport? Because we're playing in London in a couple weeks. So now I'm super excited. I wrote down in my book on playing London, right? So I'm ultra excited. And then two weeks later, the week before they play in London, they cut me. And I am devastated because that was my dream. So I get home. Oh man, just my, um, you know, just I'm, I'm sad because you know I'm not playing football again, and thought I was gonna play in London, and I did. So we're what me and my wife were watching the Lions play the Seahawks, I believe. 
and I believe somebody got hurt. And my wife, I think I've told this story before. My wife says, all right, well, time to start getting packed. You know you're about to be back in Detroit. I was like, man, I ain't heard from them all year. No way. It's not possible. And lo and behold, about 40 minutes later, get a text from uh, get a text from my coach. He says, hey, flight, flight will be, flight's at 6 in the morning. We need you up here. <laughs> so get back up to Detroit. And just I just can't believe that I'm actually back up there. And the the kicker is, I remember when uh, Elton, the security guy, Elton says, "Hey, flu, make sure you have your passport because we play in London in a couple weeks." And I just I I could not believe it. And when I flew, when we flew over to London, like I just I was in awe that I was on that plane every practice. I could not believe it. And then, lo and behold, that was the last football game I ever played it was in London. Like the last, that's when I got hurt, and that was the end of my career. And I could not have taken the end of my career, like the end, in any better way. Like I knew that was supposed to be the end. Like I just knew it. There's no, that was the highlight of my career. That's what I wanted to do more than anything was play in London. I, that, and so when that was done, I was like, all right, it's time for me to be done. Like I, that's what I really, I just really thought. Did I want to still play? Yeah, but I just, I knew in my heart that it was time for me to be done. There was no better stage for me to end my career than to be in London. So that's the story of me ending my career. What what was it about London that made it so appealing to you? Because it's not appealing to a lot of guys. You know, I think one, I've I've just I've never really been to London, and two, it's just again, I'm all about experience. And the same thing I was telling Calvin, like that, hey, I get to experience and do something that 99 percent of the population cannot do. Like, it was just the experience. Just think, just think about this. Just think about you traveling on an all-expense-paid trip that you get paid for with 60 of your best friends. Like, that's just, you know, and you get to play football and do, do what you love. Like, that was the feelings that I had. It was just, man, I get to travel and see the world with 60 of my best friends. That's why. And so, oh, so when I go back and think about that, so when I wrote that in my book, and I tell this story when I talk to kids and talk to, you know, I, I talk to a lot of high schools and stuff, and I tell the story, I said, look, when I wrote down my book, I didn't write down I wanted to play with Buffalo and play in London. I wrote down I wanted to play the Lions and play in London because I knew everybody. So I was back there in London playing, traveling, having fun, riding on, you know, first class and the version Atlantic flights, which is was some of it too. I mean, obviously the year before you almost got there, you, I think signed with them two weeks after they played in London in 14. Right. Like, so I, I, yeah. Was that so part I, I of kind of missed out. I think that was part of it because I heard, you know, just how everybody has such a good time. Uh, but you know, it's just, and you know, any one last second field goal and stuff like that. Um, but I, I think it was, it was just more personal. It was just, it was just really, I just, I just wanted it. It's just one of those things I just wanted really, really bad. And I have those, I get those things every now and then. Those things that I just really, really, really want, and there's nothing that can stop it from happening. Like those things, and when those things happen, I just let them happen. Cool. Well, Flu, thank you so much for coming on the show and for telling a ton of stories, man. It was a pleasure having you on, and uh, you know, I guess lastly, is there anything that you want people to know that maybe they don't? Uh, you know, I would I would say this um, that that NFL players at the end of the day, or athletes in general, are just are real, real people. Like I, you know, I, I tell about you know how Indominus Sue he didn't help me as an as a football player. I mean, he but he helped me more so in my life. Like Calvin having conversations with him, like helped me in my life. Like I just hope that people can see behind people's helmets sometimes, especially with a guy like Sue, and just realize how awesome of a person and how much he's affected somebody like me. Like, he's in turn, because of how he affected my life, has affected thousands. I mean, I've talked to tens of thousands of students across the country. He's affected thousands of people's lives by the story that he told me. He may not, he may never know how much he's affected my life, but, uh, but just things like that are what athletes, that's what sports is really about. It's just about, man, guys and, your, and girls, your best friends coming together and just learning and affecting each other's lives. So that's, I, I think that's, you know, if I had to leave like a little nugget, I, I think that would be it. 
Flew, that that's a great way to end this show. And thanks, man, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely, man. Thank you. I'd like to thank my guest on today's show, former Lions defensive tackle Andre Fluellen. You can follow him on Twitter at flu underscore dot underscore com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Rothstein. Check out all of my work at ESPN.com. Had an interesting story run on Sunday that you can catch up on about what it takes to find a kicker that's draftable, considering kicking is such an issue here and there in the NFL. And don't forget to find me on Facebook, too, at Michael Rothstein Journalist. If you can, take a minute or two, give us a five-star rating or review on iTunes, download, subscribe. It all helps us here at the end of the day keep this podcast going and try to find better guests and entertaining guests for you. We're everywhere you listen to your podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, all of that. And we will talk with you again on Thursday.